There are a lot of things that matter to me. Family, community, culture, and peace of mind. Hi, it's Wilmer Valderrama, and when balancing life, I have to say nothing brings more comfort than having support. And when it comes to ensuring those things that matter to you the most, State Farm offers the support with an agent available in person or on the phone to discuss your coverage options. Support when you need it, however you choose. That's State Farm's way. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, right? There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wild Card on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. I want to tell you a ghost story. It's about a stadium. The Maracana in Rio de Janeiro is the largest stadium in the world. And it has haunted a nation for the better part of a century. People have killed themselves over the events that happened on its field. You cannot say its name aloud in Brazil without sending a shiver down the spine of anyone in earshot. And this ghost story spans 64 years. It includes World Cups, giant jungle spiders, corruption, robocops, carnival floats, a Guinness World Record, a broken back, and literal shit. Thousands of gallons of shit. Which doctors offering their services? This will live in infamy. One of the biggest football upsets of, of all time, no doubt. The damage was done. Very Sad story, to be honest. The mood was one of nerves. You could feel it. You could smell it. You could taste it. Lightning doesn't strike twice, right? And one of the most sensational results. This just doesn't happen. It got beyond anger. It got beyond sadness. This is serious. It's one of the most surreal stories in soccer history. Even those of us who witnessed it have no idea how it happened. I'm Nando Vila, and this is the best soccer podcast in the world. Cristiano Ronaldo, yes! Oh, yes! 
the goal all of Italy wanted to see. The man they wanted in the Italian team. Oh, that's brilliant. Oh, that's wonderful. That is a magnificent goal. Oh, Brazil. Let's go back to the beginning, 1950. Television was being born in 1950, but the World Cup wouldn't be broadcast on TV for another four years. With Europe decimated by World War II, Brazil offered to host the World Cup. Argentina withdrew from the tournament over a squabble with the Brazilian Federation Germany was barred from joining, for obvious reasons. France, which qualified, decided not to make the trek, citing the strains of travel. India also qualified and withdrew as well, allegedly because FIFA wouldn't let them play barefoot. Brazil had uh, never really been been considered uh, among like the top teams prior to the war because football was very much in its infancy in, in Brazil and they hadn't done a huge amount before, at least on the world stage, unlike... Uruguay, who'd uh, who won the, world, the first World Cup and also won two Olympic Games. This is Daniel Edwards, a journalist covering South American soccer for Goal and other platforms. But in 1950, Brazil were just the juggernaut. Cue the party. World Cup fever was in the air. The post office released commemorative stamps. World Cup-themed floats dominated the carnival. And Lamaritine Babo composed an anthem with the lyric, let's cheer for Brazil to be champions. Wearing white uniforms, Brazil demolished any opposition who had the misfortune to be placed before them. They romped Mexico 4-0 in the opening match. Because of France and India's withdrawals, there was a last-minute change of format. Instead of a knockout round, the top team from each group advanced to another group stage that would determine the winner. Spain, Sweden, and Uruguay joined Brazil in the final round. After the third goal against Spain, fans waved adios with white handkerchiefs, one of the lasting images from the tournament. They chanted oles in the second half. It finished 6-1, which was one fewer than Brazil got against Sweden. Ademir de Menenes led the scoring, but the star of the team was Zizinho. Italian newspaper La Gazzetta dello Sport described him as Leonardo da Vinci, quote, creating works of art with his feet in the immense canvas of the Maracana pitch. The Maracana. This new Rio de Janeiro stadium was the crown jewel of the new Brazilian government. It had an official capacity of 183,000 people, which was 30% bigger than the next largest stadium in the world. Starting in 1948, 10,000 workers built it like a modern-day Egyptian pyramid. By the 1950 World Cup, there were still active construction zones because it wasn't finished yet. They played in it anyway. Brazil played all but one game there, winning every single one, by a lot. The last fixture was against Uruguay, a tiny neighboring country of 3 million people, 
which had won the 1924 and 28 Olympics and the first ever World Cup held in 1930. Uruguay had beaten Bolivia 8-0 in the group stages, but it looked considerably more ordinary in the second group. Only one match separated the teams from the Jules Rimet Trophy, newly named after the longtime FIFA president. Luckily for history, unluckily for Brazil, the final group game ended up being effectively the final. Brazil expected to win, by a lot. Omundo showed a picture of the Brazilian players under the headline, These are the world champions. Apparently, they don't have a term for the concept of jinx in Portuguese. On the day of the final match, 173,850 people paid to enter Maracanã. To this day, a Guinness World Record. Between guests, journalists, officials, and those who snuck in, estimates vary on how many actually saw the game in person. Estimates from anywhere from 150 to possibly 300,000 people being in attendance. The match kicked off at 3 p.m. The stadium was packed by 11 a.m. Hundreds of thousands belted out the national anthem. The stadium was rocking. Uruguay's Julio Perez peed himself. Quote, I am not ashamed of this. Brazil take the lead. They look to be very comfortable. Online to win the, their first ever World Cup. Firecrackers shook the monumental stadium when Brazil took the lead. And though this didn't air on television live, some black and white footage still remains. The players look tiny and jolty. The ball is a heavy leather thing that barely rolls, but it rolled for Brazil. And the ending to this story seemed pretty straightforward. Basically, it went really, really well and until it didn't. Uruguay equalized and then took the lead. When Gigia scored, famed Uruguayan novelist Eduardo Galeano wrote, the silence in Maracana was deafening, the most raucous silence in the history of soccer. Many years later, Alcides Gigia said, only three people have silenced the Maracana, Frank Sinatra, Pope John Paul II, and me. The near-post shot caught the Brazilian goalkeeper, Moacir Barbosa, leaning the wrong way. The ball hit him, and as the camera behind the goal pans across, it loses the ball, unsure where the bounce was deflected. Eventually, it scrolls back and spots the ball in the back of the net. Next, we see Barbosa raise himself slowly, as if weighed down by the disappointment of a nation. Which caused pretty much national mourning in Brazil. Final whistle, Uruguay 2, Brazil 1. In the videos, everyone is crying. Uruguay from happiness, Brazilians in broken sorrow. Pelé claims the only time he saw his father cry was because of this game. The Brazil coach, Flavio Costa, escaped the stadium. Ademir got in his car and just kept driving. Despite his costly mistake, Moacir Barbosa was voted goalkeeper of the tournament. The goalkeeper on on that occasion for Brazil, took the brunt of the criticism, essentially led the life of a hermit. Uh, after that, he was shunned from society. Very sad story, to be honest. Barbosa played into his 40s, and after retiring, he overheard a mother tell her daughter, that is the man who made all Brazil cry. The story goes that he was blocked from visiting and wishing luck to the Brazilian team in 1993. He said, quote, 
In Brazil, the most you can get for any crime is 30 years. For 43 years, I've been paying for a crime I did not commit. He died impoverished, never forgiven. Brazil didn't have another black goalkeeper for 50 years. On the very first page of his autobiography, Zizinho wrote, quote, I played for 19 years. I won a few titles, and yet, together with the other players in that campaign, I'm remembered as a loser. Newspapers in Uruguay reported that three people died of excitement from hearing the result on the radio. In Rio, a man collapsed in his home. Multiple people committed suicide. And, you know, that that game got into the public consciousness of, of Brazil. Everybody from poets to writers to uh, film directors, they, they've all talked about it. This is Gabriele Marcotti, a senior writer for ESPN. Nelson Rodriguez, the famous Brazilian playwright, wrote, quote, Everywhere has its irremediable national catastrophe, something like a Hiroshima. Our catastrophe, our Hiroshima, was the defeat by Uruguay in 1950. One could call that an overreaction, but then again, Brazilians sure do take their national team seriously. It's probably, yeah, one of the biggest football upsets of of all time, no doubt. It's known as the Maracanazo, the tragedy of the Maracanã. The Brazil team didn't play for another two years. They didn't play at the Maracanã for four. And that's the year, in 1954, when they debuted the now trademark yellow jerseys with green collar to wash away the stain on the white jerseys of the Maracanazo. It worked. Brazil won the 1958 World Cup with a teenager named Pelé bursting onto the scene and blowing people's minds across the world watching on TV. Since then, Brazil have won a total of five World Cups, more than any other nation. Construction on the Maracanã was eventually finished, 15 years after that fateful Uruguay game. More about what happened next after the break. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. As an actor, a producer, and a proud Latino father, my days can get very busy, which is why I make sure to dedicate time to what's important, like supporting my community through my work, sharing my Colombian and Venezuelan culture, and being present for my family, which is everything to me. Hey, everyone, it's Wilmer Valderrama, and we're reflecting on what matters most. I start by giving thanks for good support in my life whenever I need to make the big decisions. How about you? If it's insurance you need, State Farm is there to help you choose the right coverage for you. And State Farm offers great support 24-7. Just call an agent. State Farm is also a big supporter of Michael Tuda Podcast Network by helping to share our Latinx voices. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Listen to new episodes of your favorite Michael Tuda shows wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. 
and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, right? There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wild Card on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 2014, Ebola was creeping outward from West Africa. A Malaysian Airlines flight disappeared over the ocean. Russia annexed Crimea, and Happy by Pharrell topped the charts. And for the first time since the Maracanazo, the World Cup final would return to the Maracana. And Brazil was hellbent on being there. 64 years later, here was a chance at home for you know the most successful footballing country in the world to go and win the World Cup, to really to, to, to take it home. You know, I live in England, they can sing about, oh, football's coming home, but, you know, football ran away from home many years ago and settled in Brazil. The entire nation had demons that needed exercising. They were there on a mission to go and right this incredible wrong, this, this incredible cruel trick of, of fate that denied them in 1950. It's, it's, lightning doesn't strike twice, right? It's, it's, I think it was essentially the, the, the messaging there. The Maracana revamp? It was part of the $11 billion Brazil paid to stage the World Cup. Before any team made it to Rio for the final, they'd have to tour a series of sparkling new stadiums crisscrossing the giant nation. Some context on Brazil. When Brazil's not really a country. Brazil's basically a continent, right? It's just so enormous. Uh, it's, it's so diverse. The host city choices were puzzling, to say the least. Key matches found themselves scheduled in far-flung places like Brasilia and Manaus. In practice, they wanted to have a footprint all over the country. So, you know, they built a fancy stadium in the capital, Brasilia, which, I mean, it's a fascinating city because it's, it's an entirely planned city and whatever. But, you know, there wasn't even a top-flight team in Brasilia at the time. The most extreme case was Manaus, which built a brand-new quarter-billion-dollar stadium 
deep in the Amazon. They made another venue, Manaus, which is a city I've been to, which is in the middle of the Amazon. You know, you can't drive to Manaus from anywhere or take a train there. The only way to get there is by plane or by boat. I mean, that's how isolated it is. And it's literally in the jungle with like giant spiders and, and whatever and extreme heat. The country sunk billions of dollars into overvalued infrastructure. And like the Maracana in 1950, much of it was incomplete. Local teams inherited stadiums they couldn't afford to maintain, let alone make rent payments. The man ultimately held responsible was Ricardo Teixeira, then president of the Brazilian Federation. He was the son-in-law of João Avelange, the longtime FIFA president before Sepp Blatter. Together, they made tens of millions of dollars off soccer through their long careers. Teixeira, I remember, was involved in a fairly heavy uh, bit of corruption. He's got an, an enormous rap sheet. He was extremely powerful within within the FA, within sort of this very clubby old old school system. He got caught up in the FIFA scandals, but even before that, he got caught up in, in a number of Brazilian domestic scandals. He's a guy with just a very, very lengthy list of accusations of abuse of power against him. There were problems with the infrastructure, problems with the building work. People were getting angry because there was a, a fair increase in public transport in Rio and in other major cities. Upset at how taxpayer funds were being funneled into construction black holes, a protest movement kicked up. In the month leading up to the World Cup, it was violently shut down by armed riot police known as Robocops, who fired tear gas and rubber bullets into the crowd. It's very evident when you spend time there that there are certain unresolved issues, or many unresolved issues, involving race and ethnicity, um, involving the privileged class, which is almost entirely of, of European descent, and kind of these, these old money types who kind of run everything. You know, they all go to the same schools. They were all educated by the same priests. Brazil is definitely one of the most extreme countries in the world in, in terms of the, the wealth and the lifestyle of the super rich versus everybody else. Protests were effectively silenced, but it did just enough to topple Teixeira. After he resigned, José María Marín usurped power. He was an old-school politician linked to the military regime. But there was a World Cup to host, so construction continued unabated. And so did the optimism. If Brazil loses, we will all go to hell, José María Marín said. Carlos Alberto Parreira, the World Cup winning coach who was now the technical director, said they had one hand on the trophy. The five-time champions rode around in a bus painted with the phrase, brace yourself, the sixth is coming. Again, people, jinx. I think they were very confident. Brazil going into a World Cup. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, that that, that Brazil expects to win, That that's a, a constant. That's Alexi Lalas, the former U.S. international who has covered many World Cups, now for Fox Sports. Expectations are always high for Brazil. Like, when you're Brazil, the expectation's always semi-final. History and hosting spoke in Brazil's favor. The actual team's abilities, not so much. And you could sense the pressure and the anticipation building in the country that, you know, if we're going to do this, it's not going to be pretty. You know, the last time that Brazil won a World Cup in 2002, you know, they had Ronaldinho and, and the original Ronaldo and Rivaldo and Roberto Carlos, and Cafu, and whatever. This time around, not quite the same. And so they went for what a guy they thought was a safe pair of hands in Luis Felipe Scolari, Filippo, Big Phil, who 
you know, had been the coach of, of the 2002 World Cup winning team in, in Korea and Japan. And his career hadn't necessarily really kicked on too much as as a coach. And But he had this sort of, you know, macho bluster, the big mustache. So the hopes were kind of pinned on him because he'd done it before. Scolari gave off strong grandfather vibes and listened to the Bee Gees while drawing up lineups. That's pretty awesome. Scolari said anyone who didn't like him could, quote, go to hell. Naturally, most of Brazil liked him. The FIFA rankings listed reigning World Cup champion Spain up top. Germany was second, and Brazil was third. Brazil warmed up for the tournament the year before by winning the Confederations Cup, which is sort of a dry run for hosting a major tournament. The Confederations Cup is theirs again. They have beaten Spain in the The squad was built almost entirely around the precocious talents of Neymar. Neymar, of course, was everyone's great hope. He'd been playing absolutely brilliant football. Neymar had been carrying Santos, the team of Pelé, on his back since he was 17. A year before, he joined Barcelona in a mega deal. Now, at 22, he was poised to one day become the best player in the world. He'd received a tremendous amount of hype. He was at Barcelona. He was playing with Lionel Messi. I remember I was struck the year before the World Cup in 2013. I was at the uh, Confederations Cup in Brazil. And, you know, you're watching TV and then the commercials come on. I'm not kidding. 75% of them, like three out of four, featured Neymar somehow. He, I, I have never seen an athlete so kind of overexposed. It was all about him. In order to let Neymar thrive, Scolari recruited a yokel of a center forward named Fred to do all the dirty work up top. Brazilians pronounce it Fredji. But most people remember him because he had what I think can best be described as sort of a very 1970s porn star mustache. Naturally, most of Brazil liked him. And yeah, he just wasn't good. To be fair, it was not the strongest Brazilian team. But there was also that sense of, of nationalistic pride that can sometimes obscure the realities where they felt that not only being the home team, but more importantly, being Brazil and the home team, that that would carry through any deficiencies or weaknesses that they had. But damn it, this is Brazil. Joga bonito, samba, waxed bikini lines. What Brazil knows how to do is throw a party. The caipirinhas flowed until all hours of the night. The beaches thronged with sungas. Look it up. The world had come to Brazil and Brazil had put on a party. And Brazil did its part, progressing out of the group stages to provide plenty of reason to cheer. Neymar scored two each against Croatia and Cameroon. In between, they drew nil-nil with Mexico. They were playing effectively. Um, it definitely wasn't one of the most eye-catching Brazil teams. It was a team that relied a lot on Neymar. It relied a lot on Thiago Silva um, and a lot on their star fullbacks. They weren't playing well. The group stages, there weren't necessarily alarm bells going off, but it was obvious from the start that this was a workmanlike Brazil team. This wasn't, you know... Jogo Bonito stereotype, samba, football, whatever stupid stereotypes people come up with when it comes to Brazil. This was a blue-collar Brazil side, one that had some very good defenders. 
But, you know, in, in the final third, they kind of had to labor. Fred wasn't converting his chances. And so it often was a question of waiting for Neymar to do something. They kind of won games by inertia, by attrition. It was skipped to his left. This is Neymar. It's a stumbling run. The round of 16 match against Chile went to penalties. Which Brazil won. Afterward, the players broke down in tears, the tension of nearly exiting early clearly overwhelming them. I think the mood was one of nerves. There's this tremendous awareness of, all right, we can't screw this up. In the quarterfinals came James Rodriguez and Colombia. Tiago Silva, the captain for Brazil. It is David Luiz. Oh, extraordinary goal. Brazil went ahead by two. It seemed like smooth sailing, but the win came at a terrible cost. I think it might be a change because certainly the medical staff for Brazil are signaling frantically towards the technical area, particularly that gentleman there with his hands in the air. A knee from Colombia defender Juan Camilo Zuniga hit Neymar, fracturing his back. He was down. The nation gasped. He was out for the rest of the World Cup. I think um, uh, Zuniga, they wanted to lynch him. They were ready to, to take him out of the country and and destroy him there was a huge uproar and it definitely kind of poisoned relations on the pitch between Brazil and Colombia for a few years so this whole psychodrama quickly was created around Neymar and again because it's Brazil you know you had all sorts of people you had kind of witch doctors offering their services you had people praying for Neymar you know there was a sense can he somehow make a miraculous recovery I you know, this is a spinal injury. This is serious. You don't recover properly, you get hurt again. You know, the consequences could be disastrous. Almost under the radar was another body blow. Thiago Silva had picked up his second yellow of the tournament after he blocked the Colombian goalkeeper from taking a free kick. As a result, he was suspended for the semifinal. So, the semifinals. Brazil traveled to the Estadio Mineral in Belo Horizonte, where Germany awaited. Germany and Brazil had met in the final in 2002, which Brazil won. Since then, the German national team system had reinvented itself. These are the two powers. At that stage, Brazil had won five World Cups. Germany had won three World Cups. So, you know, you have eight World Cups right there. They were a fearsome opponent. They certainly scared Brazil. Especially a Brazil without their best player. As the Brazil team got off the bus at the Mineral, Scolari and the team wore white Forza Neymar baseball hats. During a stirring national anthem, defender David Luiz and goalkeeper Julio Cesar held up Neymar's number 10 jersey, as if he died or something. If it was surreal, it was about to get a whole lot more so. More about what happened next after the break. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. 
I love sharing positive tips with my listeners on everything from health challenges to relationship troubles. Because life happens, baby, but you got this. Hi there, I'm Honey German, and I know we can all use some positive energy these days. That's why I make sure to empower my community, because a bit of motivation and support can go a long way. And luckily, we have State Farm to support us. Like when you talk to a State Farm agent to choose the coverage you need, and they have the options to protect the things you value most. It's the perfect positive tip you need. State Farm is also a big supporter of the My Cultura podcast network, where we as podcast hosts get to share our experiences and stories. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Listen to new episodes of your favorite My Cultura shows wherever you listen to podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, right? There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wild Card on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The game kicked off, and for a few minutes, it looked like any other game. Then, it didn't. Germany's first corner. Plenty of height on it. It's gone through. Germany score! It's exactly what... Thomas Muller scored from the first corner of the game, and the Brazil defense just evaporated. In a six-minute period, Germany added four more. And as the goals kept coming, you could feel it. You could smell it. You could taste it where it got beyond tears, it got beyond anger, it got beyond sadness. Mistake in defense here, could let Kroos in. A chance of a second for Germany. Brazil in real trouble. And uh, Germany looking good for the final on Sunday. They might get another one here. It's 3 now. It was, you know, just a, a numbness that, and, and a disbelief in that while, while Brazil can lose... They can't lose like this. And so it was, there were no 
there were no tears. It was, like I said, just this this numb, pale existence of almost zombie-like existence of the Brazilians down there. This is quite astonishing. It's all over now. Klose became the first player to score 16 World Cup goals, overtaking Ronaldo's record. Toni Kroos scored twice, 69 seconds apart. Well, you could see in the reaction of the Brazilian players, the look on their faces, they just couldn't believe what was happening. You saw uh, guys like David Luiz in the middle of the pitch, just um, on the verge of tears, and the, and the game had only got started. It was it was a blitz. Nobody could have predicted anything like that. Sammy Kedira scored. It was 5-0 after half an hour. Then there were the tears. The television cameras panned to a female Brazil fan, a single tear streaming down her face, painted golden green. An old man in the crowd clutched his replica World Cup trophy and sobbed. Neymar's mother was weeping. Neymar turned off the TV and went to play poker. According to ONS, the national electrical supplier, viewership declined in Brazil after each goal. By the fifth, a quarter million televisions had been switched off. Yogi Love turned to his assistant Hansi Flick, who would later succeed him as Germany coach, and said, Hansi, tell me, is this really happening? I cannot convey to you how surreal this was. I've watched hundreds of matches, and I've never seen one like this. This just doesn't happen in the sport, right? I mean, it very rarely happens that a team scores three goals in a single half, and certainly not in a World Cup semifinal. Certainly not against a heavyweight like Brazil. Certainly not against a Brazil team playing at home. And, you know, you get this kind of this, this surreal sensation. Halftime. The teams went back down the tunnel. Yogi Love's team talk was one he'll likely never have to repeat. He told his team not to humiliate Brazil. It was, it was completely deflated by, by halftime. I mean, people knew, people knew it was over. And I remember later speaking to um, Sammy Kadir. We had him as a, as a guest on our show. And, and he said, we went into the locker room at halftime and we had no idea how we should play the second game. Like, we were shocked as anybody. And their coach, Yogi Love said, right, you know, you, whatever you do, you have to respect them. You can't mock them. You can't, you got to keep going, but in a way that's not humiliating to them. The game was already well beyond Brazil. Whatever Scolari did to, um, to try and make up for it, it, it just went very wrong. One only needed to look at the Brazil bus to know what would happen. Brace yourself, the sixth is coming. André Schürrle ended up scoring twice. Brazil fans started cheering every Germany pass and even applauding their goals. They chanted obscenities at President Dilma Rousseff, who was in attendance. The World Cup in itself had been envisioned, you know, as this uh, glowing endorsement of the, the presidency of uh, Dilma Rousseff, who was in charge back then. Um, and then suddenly everything starts going wrong. There were problems with the infrastructure, problems with the building work. There were huge, huge protests against her, even before the World Cup. And then, obviously, to be, to be associated even indirectly with the 7-1. It was just something that Dilma's government didn't need. And in fact... I think it wasn't even two years after after that World Cup, uh, she ended up getting impeached, and the process began, by which we now have uh, Bolsonaro in charge of, uh, of Brazil. Fregi left the field, subbed out to a chorus of boos. 
Late on, Oscar pulled one back for Brazil. No one cared. Whether it was 5-1, 7-1 as it was in the end, 10-1, 15-1, it wouldn't have made a difference. The damage was done. It ended 7-1. With the result, Germany overtook Brazil for most goals in World Cups. The six-goal deficit was the largest margin of victory in a World Cup semifinal. At all, it was um, something probably you will never see again in a game between two top teams in, in a World Cup. Throughout the match, 12 members of the military police had to be sent into the stands to break up fights. One German fan was punched so hard in the head while celebrating a goal that he lost hearing in his right ear. Several fans were ejected and one was arrested for destroying a trash can. Fans poured out of the stadium in agony, despair, disbelief. Diego Maradona, Brazil's longtime nemesis, led a chant mocking the result. Some buses and flags were set on fire in Sao Paulo, but by and large, the country was too numb to protest. And it was it was quite amazing to see it happen because, you know, there were no demonstrations or people screaming and yelling in the streets or anything like that. It had, it had gone beyond any of that. Scolari took full responsibility. He called it, quote, a catastrophic, terrible loss. The worst loss by a Brazilian national team ever. It was the worst day of his life, he admitted. Fred said, quote, when the match ended, I wanted to climb into a hole and never come back. Ten players on the 2014 roster never played a single minute for Brazil ever again. Fredji retired. So then there's, you know, an element of creeps out of, you know, we wasted an opportunity and this is, you know, embarrassing. Um, and we embarrassed ourselves. We embarrassed ourselves in the world. Uh, this will live in infamy. The headline on the biggest selling broadsheet read, quote, a historic shame. O Globo went with, quote, embarrassment, shame, humiliation. They gave every single Brazil player a rating of zero. The magazine Veja called it the worst 90 minutes in the history of Brazilian soccer. The press dubbed it Minerazo, the agony of Mineral. O Globo wrote that, quote, the defeat to Germany makes the tragedy of 1950 honorable. Another newspaper said, quote, 1950 ends on the 8th of July of 2014. It added, the soul of the former goalkeeper can finally rest in peace. Barbosa's daughter found relief. She said, quote, now we can absolve Barbosa. At least he got to the final. Instead, his curse has passed on. Julio Cesar never shook the 7-1 loss. Years later, after he retired, he said, quote, even today when I lie down, it's inevitable that I think about it. I'm already imagining the day I die, years from now, when they announce on the news, Julio Cesar, the goalkeeper in the 7-1, has died. Scolari, who won a dang World Cup in 2002, agreed, quote, I will be remembered as the coach to lose 7-1. Brazil never got to the Maracanã after all. Instead, Germany beat Argentina in the historic stadium to win the final. Rio de Janeiro has a terrible sewage system even in its richest neighborhoods, to say nothing of the 900 favelas. Every second, thousands of gallons of sewage dumps into the ocean. On bad days, the shit is visible. Locals call it the black tongue. And how's that for a metaphor? 
Sun, glamour, thongs, tourists splashing blissfully in the shit-infested waves. For a month, Brazil led a samba carnival. Underneath, the corrupt system shuffled billions out of sight, protesters were gunned down with rubber bullets by robocops, and a team wholly dependent on a single player broke its back in historic fashion. The curse lingers. The Best Soccer Podcast in the World is a production of Exile Content Studios in partnership with iHeart's My Cultura Podcast Network and is hosted by me, Nando Vila. Produced by Ana Isabel Octavio and Zach Lee Rigg. Written by Zach Lee Rigg. Production assistance by Stella Emmett. Our executive producers are Isaac Lee, Rose Reed, and myself, Nando Vila. Our executive producers at iHeart are Giselle Bances and Arlene Santana. Sound design by Hugo Mendoza. Our awesome theme song is by Lou J. Special thanks to all of the voices that participated in this episode, Gabriele Marcati, Daniel Edwards, and Alexi Lalas. For more podcasts, listen to the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, right? There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wild Card on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.